0: In a brand new series um, that I'm excited about. Um, it's one that uh, uh, I had to do a lot of studying for, to be honest with you, because it's, it's a difficult topic. topic. Uh, a few weeks ago, I wandered around at Young Adults and was like, hey, what are some, uh, some sermon series or some things that you guys would like to study together? And I maybe asked 20 people, and 12 people maybe um, said that they wanted a series on the kingdom of God. And I was like, crap. I'm just kidding. Uh, I was like, great. All right, um, But if you've ever spent some time in the Gospels, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Um, And if you're new to to this whole Christianity thing, those are the books you want to start in, right? They kind of share the narrative of Jesus' life. But if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, there's this theme that emerges. Jesus talks about it a lot. He talks about the kingdom of God. And the Bible almost is making kind of like an assumption, right? Like it's like that you immediately understand what's being said. When he says the kingdom of God, or you may have heard the kingdom of heaven, which are synonymous terms in some uh, ways, but it's making an assumption that you understand what the kingdom of God is. And if you're anything like me, you've read that before and you went, huh? Like, what is this? Like, what is the kingdom of God? Like, that's kind of a confusing uh, idea. A few weeks ago, I was at my my vacation home, which is uh, Pete's Coffee, um, and uh, I was reading my Bible with my headphones in, probably listening to oceans, because that's super spiritual. Um, There's really nothing more spiritual than those three things, right? The Bible, coffee, and oceans, right? It's like the trinity for spiritual formation. Um, but anyways, I'm I minding my own business, and uh, this older gentleman kind of grabs a seat next to me, and um, I'm flipping through pages, you know— uh, uh. <laughs> Ocean's on repeat, and, and I could tell that this guy like, wants to like, talk to me. He's like, trying to get my attention or something like that, and he's trying to say something. And, and so finally, like, I, I'm in my mind, like, what's, what's up with this dude? Like Who is he? You know? I'm probably thinking he's one, a Christian, or two, he, uh, he has, he's going to ask me what I'm reading, or something along those lines. He's going to tell me what church he goes to, or he, maybe he goes to the seacoast. I don't know what it is. But so optimistically, you know, I take my headphones off. I'm saying, hey, sorry, like, I, I saw you trying to grab my attention. Um, we, like, I didn't hear your question. And he goes are you one of them Bible freaks? <laughs> I was like, and he said, are you one of them Bible freaks, those, those end time coming kingdom of God jerks? And I was like, hi, I'm Matt. And I was like, what? Uh, I said, I don't know. I was like, kinda, I was like, uh, no, I'm just one of those regular kind of jerks. I, I, I don't know, like... Uh, I don't know, where do we go from here, you know? Like, <laughs> um, and so I was trying to get him to laugh to open up about something so we could have somewhat of a productive conversation. Um, but let's just say he, he wasn't having it, right? He was like, you're God, and I was like, hey man, I'm just trying to read Acts, dude, relax. Um, but even people who aren't Christians, they've heard the phrase the kingdom of God. Normally they hear it from the dude holding the sign in Huntington Beach, right? Like repent, you know, the kingdom is here or something, right? And then that's a bummer of a time, but, but Christians talk about the kingdom a lot. They, they talk about the kingdom of God a lot. At least it's a part of our vocabulary. You may have used it in a sentence before. You at least heard someone say it before. A few weeks ago, I went to Project 54. And and like I said earlier, that's a ministry that kind of cares for homeless. And the goal is brilliant. Kyle Rice is the guy that started it. And and not this Kyle Rice, but another Kyle Rice. Um, And uh, it's brilliant. They meet a spiritual need by first meeting an immediate physical need right? Some type of food or supply that they need. And, and, uh, and they do that to get to a spiritual need, a deeper need, which is community and fellowship or relationship with Christ. And it's truly an incredible ministry. And it's one that I think deeply, deeply, deeply reflects what the church is supposed to be about. But while I was over there um, serving food to people and stuff, um, a few of the homeless people were being served food and given supplies. I heard, over, I heard one of them uh, say that this is what Christianity is supposed to be about, right? This is what the kingdom of God is supposed to be about. So, got my ear, and so I walked over there, and I said, well, hey, what do you mean by that? He said, one person told me that, well, they have ministries that come down here that they just go from tent to tent and tell us that we're going to hell, and I'm like, I had an interaction like that a few weeks ago. <laughs> um... And, 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 and that's not productive, right? Like, they're not doing anything. But what, means, what makes this ministry, Project 54, so unique is, is that we can tell that, like, you really care for us, that you guys really love and care and support one another, and, and, and that you guys are really about getting to know God and who we are in light of that. And out of the outflow of all of those things comes this ministry, because you know that you're supposed to care for the people of this world. And I was like, are you a pastor? I was like, am I getting punked right now? Like, do you want to come speak at Young Adults? <laughs> But Christians engage, right, in kingdom activities, what we'll call them, or kingdom building all of the time. We try to focus our lives on bringing God's kingdom here and in the Lord's prayer, which we may talk about next week, it's your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, bring what is up there down here, right? And, 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 and we hear all those phrases all the time, but although we may have heard the phrase the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we, and we may engage in kingdom activities, could we define it? If someone came to you and like say, hey, you're like one of them, Jesus freaks, right? Uh, could, could, could you describe to me what like, the kingdom of God is and your role in it? You'd be like, duh. He's <laughs> like, uh, no, nah, maybe not, right? You'd have, you'd have a difficult time doing it. And then that's totally okay. And I think that's why a lot of young adults have come to me and asked uh, to do a series on it. And so tonight, what I really want to talk about is the central message of the gospel, of scripture. And I want to, like, I want to do it by asking a question. And the youth pastor in me uh, wants to, uh, you guys to participate um, with me uh, by maybe turning to one or two people and give me your best shot at this question. So I'll give you like 30 seconds to a minute or whatever it is. So here's the question. What is the gospel that Jesus came to preach? All right, what is the gospel that Jesus came to preach? All right, easy enough? All right, I'll give you like a minute or so. Turn to your neighbor, give him your best shot at this. All right, ready, set, Go. All right, all right. Bring it back up here, bring it back up here. So (laughs) I hope you came up with some good answers, because if not, may God be with you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But (laughs) you might have noticed something was interesting. Maybe in your own mind, you're like, maybe come up with a few different answers, or maybe you were stumped or whatever it was. But this question was asked to me years ago in one of my Bible classes, and it's a famous question um, that a guy named Dallas Willard, who's a theologian in a sense past, but he's an incredible dude, and, and he writes a lot about the kingdom of God. And the gospel that Jesus came to preach is kind of a famous question that he came up with. And, and so years ago, um, studying one of his books in our Bible class, a um, uh, our, our teacher asked this question. And what was interesting for me is that every single person in our class came up with somewhat of a different answer. Right? There was like 12 answers in our class or whatever it was. They all came up with something different. And you might say that you know, the, 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 the central message that Jesus came to preach was love. Right? We were to love one another, bear the burdens of one another. Or you may say it was forgiveness, right? the forgiveness of sins. He came to purge and cleanse the world of, of sin or condemnation from God. Or, or maybe some people would say he preached tolerance or maybe he can preach compassion. And those, those, those were all part of his, of his message. But his primary message, the primary message that Jesus came to deliver was this. The kingdom of God, which we're going to be talking about in this series, and we're going to talk really a lot about exactly what it is next week. But the kingdom of God has arrived. It has arrived. The kingdom of God, through Jesus, is in some way become available for you and I here and now today. And, and in Mark um, verses, chapters 1, verses 14 and 15, it kind of tells a story after Jesus um, spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by, uh, by Satan. And Jesus kind of comes into Galilee and proclaiming the gospel of God. And, and it says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Or in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 5, just before Jesus is ascending to heaven, it says this, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of of God, So over and over and over again, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. And over the last few weeks, in my travelings and getting to go some, to some cool places, following the footsteps of Paul, I, I, want, I found something that was interesting. And the thing that was interesting for me is this idea of building a kingdom isn't specific to Christian theology, right? All throughout history, there have been people that have had the desire to conquer and build, and, uh, build an empire or a kingdom that spans the globe, right? Last week, I was able to go to um, uh, the tomb of Philip II, A little history back him. he has a son. His son's name was Alexander. Alexander the Great, right, we know him from that. Um, Alexander was kind of born with this like insatiable desire to conquer, it seemed, right? I mean, after his dad was assassinated, he became king at 20, right? And literally from 20 to 33, he conquered the world. That's got to be the most productive 13 years in human history, right? I mean, it makes makes me feel terrible about my 20s. This dude conquered the world, right? He was nuts, he was crazy. And then Alexander dies, and the history says that that his kingdom got divided in four because no one man other than Alexander could control that, could keep that. So it gets divided up in four, and then the Romans conquer them, right? And, And now the Romans built the greatest empire that the world has ever seen. But we know that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. They don't last forever. In April of 2015, a man named Vit, Jedlicka, if I said that right, started his own country. In fact, he claimed a small piece of land in, in Europe that was like worn, torn um, during that time. And it was about three square miles. And, and he called the na- nation Liberland. Liberland. And so he wanted to create a kingdom. This was his founding idea for creating a kingdom. It was built on the founding principle of voluntary taxes. How rad would that be, right? Voluntary taxes. And with was literally within hours, hours that he like he put this he made a website for it 250,000 people signed up to be um, citizens for those tax reasons right and I signed up to be too and and you know that there, there's something inside all of us where we want to we want to have our own kingdom right i mean we don't usually use that language but i mean so my niece and nephew right um, Sienna and Ezra uh, and Jed doesn't talk yet so i'll just talk about the other two but um, It's funny because, like, she wants to be a princess, right, and he wants to be a little prince or a king or something along those lines, right? And it's this idea, even since our our youngest times, right, where we want to be king or queen. We want to be in charge. We want to have our kingdom. Yet that's the question why. And obviously we don't normally use that language like we're trying to build a kingdom, right? But we want to be the boss. We want to be in control. In other words, we want to be king or queen. There are really two ways to understand a kingdom, the first is, is, is geographical, right? In the various kingdoms of our world, this is the one that probably most makes sense to us, right? is, is particular places on the map that are divided by borders or trumped by walls, right? But uh, another way to understand a kingdom is that it is, it is where the king... It's trickling, I see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm quick, guys. No, skin. Um uh, It's where the king reigns, right? And this one's a little more philosophical and difficult to understand, so let me say it slowly. It's where the king says goes, where he is sovereign. The the Christian philosopher, again, Dallas Willard, which a lot of this material comes from tonight, says that a kingdom is defined as the range of our effective will. And you go, huh? In other words, he's saying this. My kingdom is the area where what I say goes. And what I've learned is that my kingdom is kind of small. And when you get married, you learn your kingdom is way smaller than you thought. But the the truth is, um, we all want to be, you know, the king of our own castles. We want to be in charge. And the theological idea or word for this is, is we want to be spiritually autonomous. We want to be self-governing, right? Where we, we, our will is exalted, where we get to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And ultimately, we don't like when others infringe upon our will, when they, when, when they infringe in, in upon us in some way. One Christmas morning, my dad made the huge mistake back when I was in, in junior high and seventh grade to give me a pellet gun? And that was especially a mistake when I found out that if you shoot an axe can, it explodes. So you guys remember axe cans, right? Some of you guys probably still wear it. I hope not. Um, but I remember when they came out in seventh grade, Lexington Junior High. Oh my gosh, the guy's locker room was like an army tear gas room, right? It was like you would walk in, your eyes would burn, like help, uh, be like burning your throat, right? It was, it was super intense, right? But uh, I remember that, uh, the 26th, the morning right after um, Christmas, um, I got $100 in cash. And I decided I'm going to go to like CVS and I'm going to buy $100 worth of ax cans, right? To just blow things up, right? Because I was a problem kid. And, uh, and so I literally go uh, to CVS. I give them, I, I do like 70 something ax cans, right? They're literally on my way home. My arms are so tired from carrying these things. I have to take breaks, right? I'm like, my arms are t- I'm just, like just sitting there like a seventh grade kid, like with just bags and bags of ax cans, right? And so uh, finally I get to my house And I'm lining them all up in my backyard, like a maniac. And uh, (laughs) and I just I just start shooting them, about 20 cans deep. I decide what would happen if I light a piece of paper on fire next to the axe cans. And it was the best thing that ever happened in my seventh grade life, right? I start boom, this huge fireballs, and I'm like, (gasps) right? So I just start I start boom, 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 one after the other, right? Just blowing things up, right? I'm like singeing my the hair, my hair the wall, and uh, and so about this time, my sister, my I have a twin sister who all was also obviously in seventh grade. She runs out and she's like screaming at me at the top of her lungs, like "What are you doing?" And I'm like blowing things up, like I don't know how to answer that. Uh, I don't. What am I doing? Uh, why did I spend hundred dollars? It's like all self-reflective. Um, <laughs> like you can't do that. And I'm like you're not the boss of me. Like what? The f- like get out of here, right? And so she she starts to like tur- like turn around. She's like, "Well, I know who is the boss." And so she starts turning like she's going to go into the house and she's going to get my dad. And here's where I made my mistake. I picked up my gun and I shot her in her leg. <laughs> and it was a pellet gun, right? So this thing lodged like an inch and a half into her thigh, right? So she's walking back in the house. I just pick it up, not thinking, boom, now have you ever done something where you immediately went, frick, right? Like, like it looked like when you, were, when you were a kid, like mom and dad are yelling at you and you're like, shut up. And you go, no. <laughs> right? You're like, come back. Right? Like, it was like, it was one of those moments. Right? I was like, oh, crap. Right? Like, what am I doing? Right? And so she starts screaming. Right? Because like, she, like, someone's killing her, which in hindsight makes sense. And so, um, so my dad comes out and I've never seen my dad so angry. He's like, what the beep? Right? Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have no idea. Um, and so we have to go into the garage. We have to saw my gun in half, which was like 12 hours after I got it, and, uh, and, and then he has to go in the garage, and he has to get needle nose pliers, and he heats them up, and has to go into my, my sister's thigh and pull out the BB, or not the BB, the pellet, which is worse, right? Now you ask, why did I share that story? <laughs> well, put bluntly, we don't like telling people, or people telling us what to do. For me, I, I shot one, right, and she was my sister, and we really enjoy... <laughs> Sorry for another time. Um, We really enjoy doing what we want to do when we want to do it, right? We want to be the kings or the queens of our castles because we have been taught that since Genesis chapter 3, that that is what is supposed to happen, right? And we're really going to talk about that. That's going to be a big thing. It may not make sense yet, but that's a big thing for what we're talking about uh, tonight. And just for really from the first few chapters in uh, in the Old Testament and in the Very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we can see this reality become kind of manifested in three specific ways. So in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, right, it's the the micro and macro story of creation. Uh, We get a good and wonderful creation, right? And and then in Genesis chapters 3, between verses 1 and 10, we kind of get the entrance of this rebellious being, right, and that's Satan in Genesis and and, uh, in the form of a snake, And then really from um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and 17 and up, we really get kind of where mankind gets caught up in this rebellion and rebels against God. And so today, the idea that I want to do is I want to look a little more closely at this story, really with the idea of a kingdom in mind, because that's kind of really what we're going to be talking about today. So in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the word God used in Genesis chapters 2 uh, for creation was bara, and this really speaks of God's power to create with a mere thought. The imagery is of God speaking uh, the waters and stars and wildlife and everything else into existence from his throne. But the word God uses to create when it's, when it's talking about Adam, when it's talking about people, when it's talking about Eve, is a different word. The word is yatsar, which means the form or fashion. Unlike God creating his, uh, his heaven, uh, creating from his throne in heaven, we now see him intimately engaged, In the book of Psalms, it says that we were uh, intimately knit together in our mother's womb. That's an interesting word, knit together, right? It's very intentional. It's very methodical. God thought you out as a human being, right? And and so what ends up happening here is is he's breathing life into Adam and eventually going to breathe life into Eve. And to Adam and Eve, God gave authority to rule over the rest of his creation. He loved them and walked in an intimacy with them each and every day. And this is what we were created for. We were created to walk in a relationship with God, to have a friendship with him. But then, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 and 17, Satan shows up. Once an angel casted out of heaven, because in Isaiah fourteen seven it says that he wanted to raise up a throne above the stars of God. He wanted to exalt himself over God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be like God. So that's what Satan did. He set up a counterfeit kingdom. By the way, that's an important concept for tonight. He set up a counterfeit kingdom here on earth, which is very contrast of what God's kingdom is. And so in Genesis chapters uh, one and three, we saw a picture of God's kingdom. We saw it as as harmonious. The the Old Testament word is shalom. it's, It's perfection. It's the way things were supposed to be. We saw beauty and order and intimacy. We saw health and love and prosperity. But almost immediately after Adam and Eve fell to Satan's temptation, we see death, sin, and murder. We see sickness and disease. We see the wages of sin and they are death. And immediately we get severed from the ultimate life-giving relationship that we had. And Adam and Eve became subject to Satan's rule, with Satan usurping and stealing away from us the honor of being a part of God's kingdom. And so, let me give you an example to make this make sense, at least in my mind. Imagine if I were to rise up an army and I was to attack a neighboring country. Once I defeated them, everything in their country, everything that is theirs becomes mine. And all the inhabitants and everything they own become subject to me. That's what happened to Adam and Eve and all the descendants after them. That's, they really became subjects to a new ruler, a new kingdom. And scripture calls that kingdom the kingdom of darkness, that's, or the kingdom of the world. That's what it's called in scripture. And that's been true ever since. And the fact is, everyone who's come after that has been hurt by this. We've all been sold a view of the world that is wrong. We've all been told kinds of things about ourselves that are hurtful. And we've been used and abused by this kingdom. We've all been taught to build our kingdoms here on earth. And we fantasize about what we call around here the three P's, which is we all fantasize about some type of power to be in charge of something. That's some type of power of some sort. Our possessions, materialism. We fantasize about being wealthy or having nice things. Or we fantasize about prestige. That's the, the, that, that is you being better than someone else. That's envy. And the American dream really is built around those things, or we can call those the three C's and others. The American dream really is built around comfortability. It's built around careers, and it's built around cash. And these are the things that give us a sense of purpose, and they make us feel safe, but they are counterfeits. All you're doing is really building a backyard fence in the kingdom of Satan. And so Satan's ultimate goal, and really focusing on this, isn't for you to believe in him, It's for you to just believe in yourself that you don't need God. All you need is to invest in the things of this world, that you need to pour your life into your school, that you need to pour your life into your career, that you need to pour your life into any of the things of this world so that you can live comfortably, so you can get a good career, so that you can have cash, so that you can be secure. See, we are all in the business of building a kingdom, but whose kingdom are you building? See, Jesus in a parable entitled The Wise and Foolish Builder, did something brilliant. And by the way, a parable is a fictional story that Jesus told to illustrate some truth about humanity, about heaven, about, nat- about our nature, about something along those lines. And he brilliantly lays out this idea, this idea that we are we're all building a kingdom, that you and I are in the kingdom building business. It's the idea that in the story, he gives a person that builds their house on the sand, and their house is metaphoric for their character, for who they are, for their life. And then when bad times come, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, it fell with a mighty crash. But then there's the other person. The other person builds their house on the rock. And no matter how hard the wind huff and puffs, no matter how high the water rose, it was safe because it had its foundation in something that was Sturdy. See, the people who live their lives in the kingdom of the world are in constant misery because at any moment, everything they have invested can be stripped from them. Last year, um, a guy named Landry Fields um, came and spoke at um, Young Adults. And um, I was able to uh, grab lunch with him and kind of talk about um, his story, as he kind of shared his story with me. If you don't know who he is, he's, a, he's an NBA player and was an NBA player. And he has a really interesting story. He had the world I mean, all the money that he could ever wish for and, and, and all the, the prestige he ever could wish for and all the possession he ever, and all the power he ever could have wished for. His life was going as best as he thought it could go in the kingdom of the world. One day he, he wakes up and his arm's feeling a little weird and eventually it starts to affect his, the way he plays basketball. And he said within the span of months, all of those things were completely stripped from him because of his elbow. See, we've all been tricked into storing our treasures on a sinking ship to invest in a depreciating stock in a world that is fading away. See, and all the pain in our lives and all the pain in your lives is because of this counterfeit kingdom that Satan set up here on earth. Things like brokenness and shame and, and depression and anxiety and abuse and fear and disease have entered into the human equation when they weren't supposed to be a part of the human equation. I remember really dealing with this, this reality pretty recently. Um, two years ago, my, 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 my dog for my entire life, um, uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And, uh, I didn't think it was even be that big of a deal. You know, like my dog passing, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm married. I'm out of the house. I don't really see the dog that much anymore. It's not going to be that big of a deal. And so two months passes by and, and my mom has scheduled the time to, to put the dog down. And she wants me to go with her, so I said, "Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll be the I'll be the strong one, mom." Um, and so I go over to her house. We pick the dog up, and and uh, my mom's driving. I'm in the passenger seat with, with my dog Bugsy. He was a G, and uh, and I'm just pet numb. and I'm it's just bizarre, right? We're driving to the vet where we're not going to drive home with him. He, he his life will end in this building, which is just a bizarre thought. Driving over, and and um, I'm just reflecting on my childhood with him. I found him when I was four in the park across the street from my parents' house. Um, and we, we put up signs, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I uh, kept them. I mean, no one claimed them. I was my dog for like 15, 16 years. I found him as a little puppy. I thought he was like a squirrel. I was running around. Um, and so I picked him up. And I was like, can we keep him, keep him, keep him? And my mom's like, no. It's like, well, whose dog is this? And I was like, but eventually, I begged her enough and we were able to keep it. And I was just reflecting on all those memories. I was reflecting, that I would have nightmares in the middle of the night. My dog somehow would know when I was like six or something like that. And he would run up into my bed and like cuddle next to me. And it's the, the memories that I shared with this dog. And now I'm recognizing the reality that we're driving to the vet. We pull into, into the vet and, and we're in the, um, the the office. And the vet comes over and says, are you, are you ready? And I was like, these feelings are starting to like, you know, come up. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not ready. Like, give me a moment, you know. And I'm, I have my hand under under his chest, and his heart, you know, dog's hearts, they beat really quick. And finally I was like, okay, I- I'm ready, and I'm petting him, petting him, and the doctor gave him a shot. And immediately I felt this, the heart just mid-beat stop, and it just the dog went limp. And I don't know what it was, but I could not contain my emotions. I was weeping. And one of the things I was thinking about, and I was talking to, to Austin Naylor about this because he had a similar experience around the, around the same time. Um, One of the the things I was thinking about is this is not the world that God initially created. He did not want you and I to feel those types of emotions. He did not want you to to feel worried. He didn't want a world where you're plagued with anxieties. He didn't want a world where you're buckled in fear. That's not the kingdom he wanted to create. This isn't the world that God created initially for us. And we've all been raised in a world that is in rebellion against God and there are consequences to that. And willingly or unwillingly, we've all been caught up in this rebellion. But the incredible news of Scripture is that it doesn't end there for us. No sooner did Adam and Eve fall into Satan's uh, temptation did God declare in Genesis chapter three that he would one day send someone who would deal with Satan and inaugurate a new kingdom, which is something we're gonna talk about next week. It's called inaugurated eschatology, which is a fancy word that just, um, uh, I'll talk about next week. One of the things about the word eschatology, it's the study of end times, what happens towards the end. And um, this last week, I was able to go to an island called Patmos. And Patmos is where John wrote the book of Revelations, where he saw the end of the world. Now, the, the book of Revelations is crazy. I mean, it's this dude like tripping on acid, like, you know, writing like, <laughs> like what the end of the world. I mean, can you imagine this dude? has seen like horses and like a candle. And he's like watching nuclear warfare probably or something, right? He's like, Dragons, you know, like, like, right? What is he trying, to, what is he seeing and how is he writing it down, right? It's super, super intense. And he writes something beautiful in Revelations chapter 11, verse 15. He says this, the kingdom of the world, here's our hope, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever and ever. So Jesus comes into the world to conquer the kingdom of darkness and now we get to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And this is the good news of the gospel that Jesus brought with him when he announced the kingdom of God was at hand. It's the good news that the power of all this darkness, all of this decay, all of this evil, all this deception is about to be broken because the kingdom of God has come to strike back at the kingdom of darkness and take back what was originally God's, us. And this was all to foreshadow Jesus' death. Every time he talked about that there being a kingdom, there was going to be a kingdom coming was foreshadowing his death, that he would break the curse with his death. It's called substitutionary atonement, that he replaced our death so we could have his life. And I love this quote by a a Christian theologian named Gordon Fee. It says, in Christ, God has planted his flag on planet earth and declared for all the universe to hear, I declare this to be mine. All throughout Jesus's life, he was faced with spiritual confrontations, with, with possessed people, with Satan. And that's because Jesus came as a deliverer, setting us free from the kingdom that we were born in by conquering the old king. That's why scripture says, oh death, where is your sting? And the most incredible thing about it is when Jesus rose from the dead and gave us the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he gave back to us the same authority we once had he once had given us in the garden the Adam and Eve, the nearness with God, to be co-authors of life with him. And sadly, this message has become so lost in churches of today. Millions of Christians all over the world have substituted the real meaning of the kingdom of God or what the gospel really is about for this. Here are the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven. We, we've tricked, we have been tricked to view the gospel, the kingdom of God, as like an SAT score as like a a good GPA. And it saddens me that so many people have this reduced, have reduced the gospel to an entrance exam. They view heaven as this this pleasure factory, and if they answer all the right questions, that being in the gospel, the gospel is the secret answer to getting there after you die. Many people believe that the Bible literally means basic instructions before leaving earth. And this is such a belittled view of the purpose and joy God has for you right now, here and now, today. The Christian theologian that we've been talking about, Dallas Willard, who has written volumes on the kingdom of God, says that the central message of the Christian church in America is wrong. And I couldn't agree more. He says this. uh, He says that the message of this, repent and eventually someday you know that when you die you will will go to a non-physical place of bliss called heaven is so far from the from the gospel yet it is so central in our church communities today. He's also famous for saying this, the gospel isn't getting into heaven after you die, but rather it's about getting into heaven before you die. What if we could experience heaven today? What if you and I can taste the goodness of God, the goodness of heaven today and don't have to wait for the eternity of tomorrow? What's the good news? That there is a new kingdom and you have a chance at being a new citizen in that kingdom, where the king is merciful and he's loving, and where he's freeing you and I from slavery, from being bonded in sin. And that's, that's why Jesus on the cross, when he, when he breathed his very last breath, he said this, it is finished. That you don't need to be enslaved to your addictions any longer. In my kingdom, I will liberate you. That you are more than your mistakes. You are now more than your looks or your status or where you are in school. You now belong to the family of God and belong to the kingdom of where our God protects us and provides for us because he loves us. So many Christians are are still living in bondage and fear and depression and anxiety and loneliness because they're still believing they belong to the other kingdom. Friends, nothing is farther from the truth because Jesus bought you and I with a high price. We have access to God's goodness and his freedom and his liberation that he brings to you and I today. So here's my question for you. What lies are you still believing about yourself that you were told in the old kingdom? That you're not good enough? That you don't have what it takes? That you're unlovable? Do you want to mount to anything? See, see, if you are in Christ, you have God's stamp of approval on your life. And we get to live in the freedom freedom of being made new. And so as we end today, here's really the ending thought I want to give to you that will really segue us for next week. There are two kingdoms we can live in. The first is you can live in the kingdom of the world, but you don't have to any longer. Click on to the news, see how well this kingdom is doing. It's fading, it's falling apart, it's sand. Or you can live in the kingdom of God where the, with the promises of God that give you access to the riches of heaven today. Those riches are our life live free from worry, free from anxiety, and free from Fear because we know that we can step into the protection of a loving God and the purposes that he has for us. Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that the gospel is so much more than the afterlife. Lord God, that you orchestrated it in such a way, Lord, that it means something for us today, that no longer do we need to be bonded in sin, strapped by addictions. No longer do we need to feel unloved, unaccepted, not worthy, The cross is the greatest example you could send to us to show that you love, you care for us, and that we are worthy of your love. And so I don't know all the stories of the people in this room today, but are there people here today, God, that need to know this, need to hear that they're forgiven? Are there people here today, Lord, that have believed things about the old kingdom to be true about them today that they're not? Father, we thank you that You are a God that cares deeply about us, one that wants to provide for us today, one that wants to give us peace today, one that wants wants to give us purpose, one that wants to lead us. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.